You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi, and this is podcast episode number 1,264, and this is our 1,576th interview. We've been on the air since March of 2009, and we're the longest-running business podcast in Orange County, California. Have you ever thought about how and why you have trust in an institution or an individual? I've invited author Todd Henderson to share the research in his latest book, The Trust Revolution, how the digitization of trust will revolutionize business and government with you to help you to understand how the rise of the Internet is offering new ways to create or strengthen the trust within and in your firm. This is critical because we're at a time when people's trust in government, in companies, and even if each other is at a historic low. If you'd like to learn more about this radio show podcast or the CEO peer groups that I lead, visit my company's website, criticalmassforbusiness.com. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Todd Henderson to Critical Mass Radio Show. Todd, welcome to the program. Richard, it's a pleasure to be number 1,576. That's going to be the best one yet, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am super excited to have you on the show. I've enjoyed your book. I first Your book first came to my attention in the Q4 of last year when I was reading a review of it in the Wall Street Journal, and I thought, two thoughts. One, i got to buy that book, and two, got to get you on this show to share your research with my audience. So thank you for giving us your time this evening. What's the main idea contained within your book, The Trust Revolution? Uh, You started out by saying that trust is at an all-time low, and certainly you see this in the polls and such with people trusting the media and government and all sorts of things, but I think everyone's got it all wrong. The amount of trust in society has never been higher. We're at an all-time high in trust, and you can just think of the the ways that we cooperate as humans today, riding in strangers' cars, uh, using Uber, Sleeping in strangers' houses using Airbnb. You know, the the uh, I recently bought my son a Sidney Crosby Penguins jersey. Uh, I sent money over the internet to someone in China, and a Sidney Crosby jersey appeared at my door. And there was no law, no government involved in that transaction. How I was able to cooperate with that person and a voluntary transaction, the trust that's been enabled by technology is unfathomable. And so the book explores this idea that trust is something that we demand because we want to cooperate with other people. Uh, Trust enables us to specialize. I don't have to defend my home at night because the police will do it. I trust them. I don't have to uh, prepare my own food and make sure it won't be poisoned because I can have other people do that for me. Everything that I want to accomplish, leisure, my work, uh, spending time with my fa- family or at a religious institution, all of those things are enabled by the being able to trust and rely on other people. And the way that trust has been provided, the book sort of explores over history and how that uh, trust has changed, how we go from a species that mostly relies on interpersonal trust, and then governments are created to create the trust among people with contracts and police and courts, and then the rise of businesses providing trust like brands, And then finally, uh, the era we're in now, which is the rise of the Internet platforms 
some of which I've alluded to, which create and unlock whole new ways of trusting that I think are going to really revolutionize uh, both government and business. So, so I'm talking with Todd Henderson. He is the co-author with Celine Sel, uh, Churi. Did I say his name correctly? Yeah, Salen Churi. Salen Churi, uh, the trust revolution. And w- kind of what I'm taking away from this conversation, Todd, and also what I've taken away from your book is that the sphere of trust fr- from an individual's pr- perspective over the arc of human civilization is only ever increasing, right? Back in the very primal days, if you didn't, if they weren't in your tribe or your group or your cave, you, you worried about anybody who might be a quote-unquote stranger versus where yeah. we are today. Is is that a, a correct assessment of sort of what you talk about in the trust revolution? Yeah, I mean, we think about it. I, I was uh, when I was writing this book, I found myself in a in a bar with a friend, and she's a primatologist, and we were talking about trust, and she said, you know, look, we your back is to that primate behind you, and humans are the only species that would do that, to trust other people and strangers. And you're right, when we started out in the caves, we trusted our family, which it's like we're biologically programmed to do that, but that's not enough. And until trust technologies were developed, like law, that's a trust-enabling technology, we were limited to groups of 50 or 100 people. And then Hammurabi comes along and says, I can create more trust. I will use the violence of the state. If you cheat someone in a contract, I will kill the person who cheats. That All of a sudden, people are like, oh, okay, I better live up to my contracts. Now people can plant seeds in the ground and trust that they'll be there to to be able to harvest them. Civilization expands unbelievably. And then, you know, government exists as a trust delivery tool for a long, long time. Uh, And then one of the things I explore in the book is something like Uber, a very simple innovation but it's actually quite profound. You think about it, you know, your mom tells you, if she was like mine, you know, don't ride with a stranger. That's great advice, keeps you out of a lot of mischief, but if you find yourself in Manhattan alone on a business trip, if you can't ride with a stranger, you might be out of luck getting from Mm -hmm. one part of the island to another. And government had a solution for that, the taxi cab, yellow color, label on the top, licensed drivers and so forth, meter, tamper-proof meter, that worked great. But it had all sorts of problems. It was a government-created monopoly. Taxis weren't known for their innovation. And then Uber comes along and says, you know what? We have a better trust delivery trust delivery tool enables you to get into a ride with a complete stranger without the government being involved. And that massively expanded the ability to trust strangers. So now on the south side of Chicago, where I couldn't get a cab before, there's now armies of people willing to give me rides. That's increased my ability to cooperate with others, makes me wealthier, makes me better off. And it's business providing a trust tool that previously was just within the ambit of government. Right. And that, that's an argument or a, a, a position that you, um, you've researched, you talk about. And I think there's a, there's a whole show we could kind of spend around that concept of the moving of trust away from um, government institutions into the free market and how that might be a uh, a more effective application in many cases for that. Another area that you talk about regarding trust is this idea of user and customer reviews. So could you share with us how how that how peer reviews are impacting trust? Yeah, the great the great innovation, and again, it seems quite simple, the five star rating system is one of mankind's great inventions or or will be. And it's not the last word in trust, but the ability, 
of uh, that Uber's enabled or eBay or Amazon, you know, when I buy something or get into a ride with an Uber driver or transact with this guy in China using eBay, I'm not really trusting eBay. I'm not really trusting Uber or Amazon, these intermediaries. I'm trusting my fellow users. Those companies have created a technology, a tool that allows me to use my peers, my fellow humans, and trust their experiences. So when I rate a transaction as a five-star or four-star or whatever it is, I'm contributing to this collective knowledge that disciplines people who are selling things, and I can therefore trust and rely on those. Now, I don't want to be Pollyannish. Those review the five-star rating system is not perfect. It's a human institution, so people are going to try to game it. And, of course, the companies who create these platforms are going to try to figure out ways to uh, you know, prevent it from being gamed. I know I published a novel called Mental State recently, and uh, I begged all my friends to review it. And some of the people who I asked to review couldn't get their reviews posted. They, they worked with me or they lived on my street or whatever it may be, and Amazon kept them out because they're trying to preserve the integrity of this rating system. What's exciting about it, I think, is lots of trust delivery tools like government and certain types of businesses they're intermediaries, and whenever you have an intermediary, there's the possibility that they'll, you know, use their position of power to their own ends and not to serve your ends as the ultimate customer or citizen. We're all familiar with that. And these tools are really bringing power to the people. Come up with a mechanism that allows humans to cooperate without middlemen. Uh, that's the real exciting thing, I think, that something like the five-star rating system or you know, technologies that we can't even imagine yet that hopefully your, your listeners out there are inventing now to come up with ways to enable human cooperation. And that's really and that, it's all about. And, and we're talking with Todd Henderson, talking about his book, The Trust Revolution. I, I, and that, I wanted to respond to that point because a part of what I think we're living in now is a time where we're seeing that through, uh, I don't know, it's democratization of trust, but through the push of trust to people, Technology is enabling things that we previously thought could only be done by governments, like currency and financial instruments. Yeah, Milton Friedman, who's a predecessor of mine at the University of Chicago, he dreamed of a world in which the Federal Reserve could go out of business because we would have a machine that would just increase the money supply on a predictable basis. And, you know, things like Bitcoin offer that potential. There's still they're still early, and, you know, we're at the dawn of the kind of uh, uh, digital coin uh, revolution. So, you know, I don't think we're there yet. But uh, I talk about money and banking in the book. You think about banking. When I was a kid, banks looked like Greek temples. And the reason for that wasn't because bank CEOs had a penchant for the Greek uh, architecture. It was because they wanted to convey trust. And then we moved, you know, over my lifetime to ATM machines. It was like a far cry from a Greek temple. It's just a little machine in the wall. And now we do it all on our phones. And technology has been driving. And it's not, you know, just happenstance. Behind that is a lot of technology in the blockchain, which you sort of alluded to there, I think has a similar potential. Of course, government is going to not really give up its monopoly on money anytime soon. But, you know, the promise of a digital currency can take us back to an era of American history where, you know, the government really wasn't involved in money. Each bank produced its own currency. And the only reason that never really was scalable 
is because when you went from town to town, people really didn't, you know, the, it was hard to, if you're in uh, San Francisco, to take money from a bank from Chicago when you really don't know anything about it. And technology can break down those barriers and unlock all sorts of potential. The interesting thing is that, you know, Uber has basically put out of business lots of taxi commissions because it can do their job better than the government can. But the incumbent taxi providers and the people who have an interest in preserving the government's authority have really pushed back against Uber and in some places gotten legislation to ban them. And this is just one competitor putting another competitor out of business, right? Uber is a competitor of government here and providing a better trust tool. And we should let competition determine who's the better provider as opposed to legislating one uh, out of business. We're talking with Todd Henderson, and we're talking about his fascinating book, The Trust Revolution, How the Digitization of Trust Will Revolutionize Business and Government. I'm wondering, what was the inspiration, Todd, to make the commitment with you and your co-author to research and then write the book? Well, we started really from this Uber uh, uh, example when Uber was trying to come to market in Chicago, and we, uh, I had this idea that what Uber was really doing wasn't competing with taxi cabs. They were complaining that the competition was unfair, but they're competing with government. And then, you know, I had worked as a, a judge for FINRA, which is the sort of private regulatory organization that uh, governs stockbrokers, which has a flavor of this uh, alternative to government and delivering trust. So I started thinking of other examples, like the Uber example. And then the real insight, and I think this is relevant to your listeners, uh, there's a lot of money that private foundations and individuals put into law schools and academia for people to write papers and things like that. And my co-author and I thought, you know, it would be better to convince people about the virtues of our ideas to not just have a book, but to create a fund that would actually, you know, try to start companies to do this. So Salen has left, my co-author has left the, the law school here in Chicago and raised a big, you know, $150 million venture capital fund to put this book's ideas into practice and fund companies who are trying to come up with ways to better deliver trust uh, and take on what the government is doing and see if it can provide these regulated experiences a little better. So that, the book is sort of an exploration of not just the past, and we trace trust from Hammurabi through medieval guilds in Brussels through uh, the rise of corporate brands in the 1950s in America through Uber. That's the sort of story arc we tell. But really, the exciting part is at the end where we talk about all these new companies that are coming up with ways of taking on, you know, the optometrists and all these uh, incumbent providers who think you can only trust them and uh, uh, offering alternatives that may uh, unlock human potential in ways that we can't even imagine. You know, one of the stories that resonates with me, and we only have, unfortunately, a few minutes left here on this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast, was your positioning on, say, McDonald's and how they brought trust to the family that's driving across the country. Can you can you retell that story briefly for us, please? Yeah, so you think about uh, uh, there's been some external changes. Uh, technologies are invented like refrigeration or the interstate highway system. You know, when the, when the World War II is over and the interstate highway system arises, now it's possible for me to drive from Chicago to Los Angeles. So I set off as a family to go to Disneyland in 1956 or 1960, 
And I have to stop for lunch in a small town in Missouri. Well, in the past, everyone who ate at this diner in Missouri lived in this small town. Now there's people from Chicago coming. And these people from Chicago, they don't know the chef. They don't know this restaurant from any other restaurant. And they think to themselves, well, I don't know, is this a good place to eat? Are the, is it safe? Will they, you know, do they, are they sanitary? Will I be poisoned? You know, you have no idea. And it's possible that the government could have seen this problem and said, ah, we can enable you on your cross-country ride to trust these restaurants. We'll deploy armies of inspectors. We'll have a licensing regime where you've got to apply to the state, and we'll give you a little seal on the door so that travelers will know this is a safe place. You know, we're not unfamiliar with that kind of concept. It would have, ma- it would have been a massive increase in government. And then there was this company from Chicago, McDonald's, who said, we have a better way. We will invest an enormous amount in creating this national brand. We'll put money in advertising, which is an investment like a bond, that you know, we'll spend billions of dollars building this brand up. And every time anybody bites into a hamburger, it is a promise backed by these billions of dollars that we've put into this brand. So at the time that the, a burst of globalization and a change in the American commerce where people are now interacting in ways that they hadn't before, you see the rise of brands in the 1950s, Dunkin' Donuts, Howard Johnson's, McDonald's, all tools to enable you to have trust in strangers that you didn't have before. And importantly for our story, you know, in substitute for what the government would have done. That's excellent. You know, I wish we had more time here on Critical Mass Radio Show Podcast to kind of continue this conversation. I appreciate the work that you and your author, co-author did to put the research together and to share the trust revolution with the wider masses. So if someone would like to get in touch with you or learn more about the book, where do you suggest they go? So you can find my profile if you just Google my name and the University of Chicago Law School. You'll see my email address right there. It's toddh at uchicago.edu. And I want to say, someone like you, Richard, read about my book in the Wall Street Journal. Some guy that I'd never met from San Diego, he said, hey, I've got this really cool business. It's really about getting the voice of the public at large to build uh, different perceptions of companies. Instead of just hearing from the, you know, the squeaky wheel, we want to hear from the whole wheel from all the wheels, and called me up. We talked for a little bit. I flew out to San Diego, spent the whole day with him, and, you know, I think we're going to be great partners, and, um, you know, just for free, giving him ideas and helping him with his business. So if there's anybody out there that is uh, inspired by this and wants to reach out to me, I'd love to hear from you and, uh, and be helpful in any way I can. Well, I am certainly glad that I came across your review and that you've been gracious enough to give of your time. It's a it's an added value that you are a Penguin fan and um, <laughs> hailing from time growing up a bit in the great city of Pittsburgh in the great state of Pennsylvania. So we have that together as well, Todd. So thank you for being a friend of the program and a member of the ever-expanding critical mass for business community. Thank you for having me, Richard. I've enjoyed it. Okay, take care. I'd like to thank our engineer for today, none other than Mr. Paul Roberts, who also owns the radio station octalkradio.net, and our three producers, without whom we could not do the show each week. They are Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and our newest producer, Vanessa Holland. If you'd like to connect with me, I would ask that you connect with me on LinkedIn first. I am Richard Franzi, spelled F as in Frank, R-A-N-Z-I. And until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. 
You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.